all the unseen forces that we'll never see, and all those conversations and people listening in the homes and the neighborhoods and all the love at the meals going on right now, when I'm present to that, that's what I want to connect to, and that can be, a, that can be the source of power and the source of tirelessness. Hi, welcome to Undefined, where my guests and I explore what it means to practice authenticity and discover who you are by rejecting the definitions that society conditions us to subscribe to. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much. This is my third episode, and if you've listened to the first two, thank you so much for listening. I'm so excited to share this episode today with John Morrow, who is an artist, filmmaker, author, and I call him the resident creative genius for Matthew and Tracy Engelhart, who own Cafe Gratitude and Gracias Madre, and also the Bee Love Farm in Vacaville, California. John is the author of two books. One is called Keepers of Color, and it's an amazing coloring book, but it is like a you go on this journey to find your true self through coloring and creativity. It's really beautiful. And the other one is a children's book called Holden Hugs the World. And actually recently, John created some graphics that were inspired by that book, and he is putting them on t-shirts, and the proceeds of the t-shirts support all of the fire relief in basically the entire western United States. So I have a link to that website so you can buy a t-shirt. They're like 25 bucks and they're awesome. I got one that has the state of California and then it's basically like Holden, who's the character of the book, hugging California. It's very, very cute. So there's a link to that website in the show notes. This episode was actually recorded live while I was staying on the Bee Love Farm in August. This was toward the end of my solo road trip that I took up to the top of California. I was gone for about two and a half weeks and I visited Redwood National Park. I camped alone, which was amazing. And then I spent a weekend at this farm owned by Matthew and Tercy. And John and I met on the farm and had this beautiful conversation. Because we recorded live, you might hear some farm noises, which I think is sort of fun like tractors, dogs barking, cows mooing, children laughing. So just bear with me with this recording. Um, It was really fun to actually record an episode live, and I hope that you enjoy it. John and I talk about his journey as an artist and Cafe Gratitude and his journey as an author, which mirrors and follows and in a sense documents his journey to become fully himself. The farm, as I mentioned before, is truly the embodiment of love and community, and I really felt that during this conversation, so I hope you guys feel that too. I think it sounds pretty good. I think it's going to be awesome. I think this is like a real jump into you being undefined. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and not needing to do it all in control. You're, you're in a period of, of learning to lose control. Yeah, exactly. Lose I'm trying to lean into it. So this is perfect. Here we it are. is. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you sitting down with me today. You're more than welcome. Welcome to the farm that I happen to be so graced to be at as well. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about you know your role in the farm and how long you've been here. Mm. Well, so we're at Be Love Farm. Yes, Be Love Farm. I've been here for two nights. Unfortunately, I'm leaving today, which I'm very sad about. Be Love Farm is a regenerative organic farm 
uh, in Vacaville, California, which is about an hour north of San Francisco, about 35 minutes east, I believe. It's, it's about 35 minutes from Sacramento. Um, no, no, west, west. It would be west. Right? Yeah. West it's like in Sacramento. between Sacramento and Oakland. Correct. West of Sacramento. Sacramento is east of here. Um, Matthew and Tiercy Engelhart are the owners and founders of the farm. They're also the owners and founders of Cafe Gratitude and Gracias Madre. Favorite place. Which are organic vegan restaurants, um, both in the Bay Area and Los Angeles. And they've been lifelong teachers, mentors, and friends of mine. They've, I mean, not lifelong, but for 15 years or so. They've been they're like my spiritual fairy godparents. How did you meet them in the first place? I walked into Cafe Gratitude in Berkeley. Um, I was looking for, uh, I knew the Bay Area is where I wanted to live, and I um, was moving there with a good friend, and we were, um, this is pre-iPhones and pre-Wi-Fi um, being everywhere, and we were looking for a home, we were kind of scour. we were staying in a hotel, scouring Craigslist, and we kind of go out uh, into the world, and... Uh, and there's a tractor. There's a tractor, because we're on a farm, we're going to hear lots of noises, I'm sure. I and, love it though. <laughs> and um, so we went out. We would go. We were looking for. We were looking for an apartment, a place to live. And in Berkeley. In Berkeley, and there's in Berkeley. It's a there's a college town, a university town. And all the stuff right. we were finding mostly in our price range was sort of like the college kind of ghetto or the college <laughs> like sort of, you know, just student run, run down type places. And we're like, this doesn't feel energetic, vibey. We had we were. We had eyes that were sort of outside of our means, you know, the places that were really, really beautiful and good, but we were looking to see, like, maybe there's a guest house, maybe there's some place. And we would go to these places that we got all excited about, and when we would get there, uh, they'd have just been taken or sort of been sold, and it was, you know, again, pre-iPhone, pre, pre-Wi-Fi, where you couldn't be checking everything, and so we, we would just, we would make a list the night before, go kind of make appointments and go out, and then come back and do the same thing. And we found this incredible place, and we're like, oh, no, I'm sure it's going to be taken. I'm sure it's going to be taken by the time we're... Actually, no, sorry. Before then, we were kind of like, I don't know about this. We, 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 had, we, we, had, we were probably like an, almost a week looking. We thought it was going to take two or three days. And, and you we were, were like getting discouraged. And we were paying for a hotel, and it was just like, this is a lot. And my friend Jen had literally moved out here. Like, she had all of her stuff in her car. <laughs> and so we were, we were like in, full in. And uh, then, uh, so we were, we were really kind of struggling, but we went to go get lunch, and we just happened to buy this place called Cafe Gratitude. We walked in and it was like miraculous. I was like, "Who? This place is incredible. What's going?" It was vibrant, and the food uh, was green and raw and organic and vegan, which and tastes is, amazing. Tastes amazing. This is two thousand five. No, two thousand. Yeah, two thousand five. I think two thousand five, two thousand six. You know, I think before it hit really the mainstream, right? And uh, we just were fed, nourished inside and out. And I was like, what is this place? It's like a portal. I walked in and I'm like, this is a whole world inside. This is a world within a world. And I really wanted to know, like, who are the wizards behind this Oz? <laughs> you know, who are the people totally. who created this? This is incredible. And um, personal story, we just felt lit up and, like, and re-inspired about what's possible on Earth and life, as well as our mission to live in the Bay Area. And then we found this amazing place. We're like, ah, oh, we've got, we're a little like, oh, it's probably gone by tomorrow. But happened to be that these people were actually interviewing people. They didn't want, they, they lived above. We was oh, a basement okay. apartment. So they were interviewing people because they knew it was going to be living in community. They were right. actually looking for people that they vibed with and can kind of get along with and would be living and sharing a home in a little like, you know, area with. 
and they loved us. That's awesome. Naturally. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> who wouldn't? And then, yeah, it happened to be like, you know, several blocks away from Cafe Gratitude, so I would go there all the time. I kind of just, I injected myself into the community yeah. and sought them out. And then they became like my Grateful Dead. I toured around with them. I followed them everywhere and just gleaned as much wisdom as, as I could from them. And we'd go to their workshops and their um, events. And I even, even though I wasn't an employee, I would go to the all-employee meetings. They just let me come like every morning at 7.30 at the cafes just so I could watch how they ran business. And the, their leadership. Their leadership and their business. And that instilled um, such a sense of there's something that happened to me cellularly when someone is actually living, um, practicing what they preach, right. living in alignment with their values. And they would always, um, with their employees, for instance, when things would come up, they would just be transparent about how they navigated with mm-hmm. it. So, for instance, I remember one time there was an avocado, organic, they were committed to using 100% organic products. And there was an there was a organic avocado shortage. You know, there was some drought or some, you know, I don't know, tariff, something, mm-hmm. something, something weird happened in their vendor. Um, they couldn't get it. And they're like, this is going to be probably like a month plus And you know, here's, here's where we're at. And everyone needs avocados. Everyone needs avocados. So we're like, here's our process. We thought, do we just sub out, you know, do we just sub out, uh, yeah, the non-organic, the non, you know, for non-organic avocados during this time, uh, do we use a different ingredient? What do we sort of do? Um, and they ultimately just said, okay, no avocados for however long. And they just, they made that commitment. And there's a lot of employees who were sort of upset and, you know, cause the foodies get attached to their, the way things are <laughs> and they want their guacamole and they want their additional avocado. But to watch them navigate it through and tell everybody about that was just saying, we're not hiding anything. Like, well, this is our process. And they weren't even, they were just, sometimes they were open for feedback and saying, let's, let's look at this as a community. And sometimes they're, they're ultimately realized we're the ones who are, you know, the owners of this, so we're gonna, we're gonna. Um, it was more of a republic, I guess, but in the um, in the best in the best possible way. They 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 took feedback, but they very diplomatically and aristocratically. It um, sounds like they were very authentic in how they ran the business and like presented their plan. Yeah, basically. Exactly, and I, I loved it, and I saw myself and saw how I wanted to run business and run my life. Yeah, how have you created that transparency and authenticity within yourself? Which I know is a big question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's become a, um, it's become like a plumb line, you know, it's become a, a, like your North Star, a reference point, a North Star, you know, and there's times I aren't as good as it as I'd like to be and times I fall from it, but, the, but it always comes back to me. Like my life, when you set your, when I set my internal integrity to something, You'll, I'll feel it when I'm off, you mm-hmm. know, I, I feel, I yeah, feel how, what does that feel like to you? Wholeness it feels like wholeheartedness. It feels like integrity. It feels when like when you're presence. in alignment. Yeah. It feels like presence. It feels, um, nothing is missing in all directions. And then when you're out of alignment, what does that feel like? Uh, like there's a pebble in your shoe and, and, or when you, glide off like the road the side of the road the highway and there's those like that sort of yeah corrugated rough you know rough parts yeah, totally. <laughs> like that's what it sort of feels like yeah I feel there's there's like reverberations of like something's off here mm. and I feel a little always a little nauseous in my stomach and a little um just off right you know? I feel off of who I am and I feel a little like I'm hiding something mm-hmm. I feel like there's a little lie in the space that I want to get cleared and I yeah until I can 
pinpointed receipt. Sometimes I know exactly what it is, and other times, I, you know, you have to work it out. Like you know, we talked about um, when you know there's been relationships and dynamics that I've been in. There's like something off. Like so many things are working, right, but there's totally. this thing that's off, and you I've pretended that it's not there. Yeah, you know, like I've like me too. I've pretended like the red flags were like yellow flags, mm-hmm. you know. Or just flag, just you know, trying to get my attention. Like, no, no, right, no, no. and if you I, make excuses for it exactly. or try justify to justify it. it totally. Exactly. So I've, I've fallen for that plenty of times. But the more I've stated it, the more I've, you know, you've, you kind of lessen the, the, lessen the amount of time between right. when you notice and when you it's actually take action. It's a practice, exactly. You, like so a yoga you, practice, you, yeah, kind of totally. follow, like you kind of fall out of balance and you get back into your perfect tree pose, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You feel like it's gotten easier as you've gotten older. Very much so. I think that... So there's hope. <laughs> way hope. I'm in 42. There's a lot of hope. And also, uh, my one of my other teachers, an art school teacher, I'm an artist, so this art school teacher I went to said that time is a good sieve, like a, you know, like a col- col- mm-hmm. colander, sieve for importance. Like, oh, so interesting. The, the things that are need to be there will stay there. You yeah. Know? And, the and rest then everything will else filters fall out. Away. Yeah. And I just have less and less space for drama. Totally. And I can see how much space I had for drama before. I really like allowed for it to be there. Uh, in the business sense, I've heard this really great quote that said, "High performance is a um, is a result of low tolerance." So you just have a very low tolerance for drama or the stuff yeah. that doesn't work, you know? Yeah, because then you're you're not wasting that space no. in your mind. You're like or your body. You become spiritually aer- aerodynamic. Totally. Yeah. And no, no wasted effort, no kind of clunky thing. You're just as refined as possible. I'd love to hear more about you being an artist and how that's translated into your art. Um, how the how the integrity aspect is translated yeah. into my art? And yeah. I guess just give sort of like an overview of what type of art you do. I know that there's a lot of mystical influences in your art, which I love. And you've written children's books, coloring book. True, true, true. So... Yeah, I've been an artist my whole life. Um, I I just loved drawing and coloring. It was the way I passed the time. It was meditation before I knew about meditation. and It's like you're in that flow state. <clears throat> in the flow state, and also there's something about giving your entire attention to the task at hand. And coloring and rendering always did that for me. Like I could just be so focused. Mm-hmm. And methodically, little by little, you complete a task. Right. Like coloring in something or drawing or making yeah, a painting totally. or filling in the canvas, any of that. So I've loved that. That's been that's been a discipline of mine, yeah, a deliberate practice of mine. Um, I went to art school. Where I grew, did you I grew go? up in Vermont. I grew up in Rutland, Vermont, small bucolic town, small bucolic state. So a rural area. Very rural. Farms. I didn't live on a farm. I lived in a. I mean, you know, I lived in a city. It was a, right. a small city, eighteen thousand, fifteen thousand okay. people. Um, and yeah, nature. Nature was my first god. Yeah. Right? The four seasons, the rivers, the lakes, you know, pulling up logs and stones and seeing what's underneath there and just loving mosses and ferns and hikes in the woods and the creatures that I don't even think, I mean, some were hiding, but some were just there if you could still yourself enough to look. And And watching the seasons change, just the cycles. Watching them change and then being changed by them was really powerful to be... Um, churned by them. I think I kind of got sick of New England winters for a long time, <laughs> but now 
I can see after living in California for uh, 16 years that the steady sun, while awesome, and I'm definitely solar powered, yeah, I'm missing that change. Yeah, like definitely. Now I'm like, I'm, I'm looking for my next move and where I'm looking to move to would have four seasons and would have four distinct seasons so I can be, yeah, churned by them. And I think there's something in my own constitution that, uh, as an artist as well, who loves the analog and loves the processing and loves the different stages of creating an art piece, you know, from the idea phase to mm-hmm. sort of the sketch phase to the filling in phase to the completion phase and to the, all the toil in between. And that in the same way we've been, you know, pre-COVID, uh, constantly pushed to be on this hamster wheel of like deadlines and yeah, Fridays and nine to five and like we are in constant push. There's a little of that I've seen in the, and this is no fault of California's, but just in the constant sun, it's like it is always it time to work. Stops. There's no winter here. There's no time for rest. And nature does rest. Yeah, definitely. Nature knows how to rest. Yeah, like bears hibernate for exactly. months. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, we yeah. should do that. Well done. Yeah, exactly. Where's our hibernation? So I've learned to take that on, and rest has become a part of my practice and part of my yoga and part of my um, yogic artistic practice. But being an artist really, I think, now, you know, so I went to art school, loved it. I loved Where were you in art school? In Baltimore, Maryland Institute College of Art. Cool. MICA is what it's called. It's a fantastic school. I loved it. I mean, I really loved it. And it you so got your amazing. master's there also? I got a BA and an MA. Yeah, I got a BA in illustration and an MA in digital art and imagery. Cool. So I, one of the things I loved about art school was there were people from all walks and religions and backgrounds. And they, um, you know, this was a city. I, I went from like bucolic country rural to like, you know, crickets and, and uh, raccoons and the sounds of streams <laughs> to like gunshots and sirens. And, and maybe a different breed of raccoons. Different breed of raccoons, exactly, yeah. Like rat-sized raccoons. Yeah. Raccoon-sized rats, yeah, in alleyways and things. Uh, it was it was, it was was a huge shift. and But something about um, people coming from all different, you know, this, this, this kind of melting pot of races, religions, ethnics, philosophies, and, but we all had art in common, so there was this underlying respect we all had for each other. Everyone you know, was like, a creative. Everyone was creative, and everyone was, like, working out life through this particular lens, you know, and seeing, and there was this silent, unspoken respect that really instilled something in me of, of just what's possible in diversity, you mm-hmm. know, and what's possible if we can see what that universal, what the universal is in the, in the, in the, uh, seemingly sort of personal. Yeah. There's that collective energy that everybody can feed off of. A thousand percent. And so when I found Cafe Gratitude many years later, I think that's what I saw was possible in community that there were uh, people that were seekers and mm-hmm. looking for God or mysticism or spirituality or, or, you know, sense making for life. And I, I love aligning, um, yeah, I love meeting new people that are just not afraid to peek behind the veil right. of life and not af- not afraid to sort of um, be rebels and rousers and uh, uh, question not only authority but even existence, you know? Definitely. And uh, just upend, them th- up, up, upend it as a means to 
uh, bring new awareness, mm-hmm. you know, and that doesn't mean to just take down the system or take right. down the man, you know, but to like find greater purpose, to almost. find greater purpose and wholeness and unity and, um, connection and even awe and wonder and humility, you know, in a, in a, in a connection for sure, but in a way that, um, in a way that keeps us all in check to kind mm-hmm. of see that we've all got this unitive thing. I mean, it's true anyway, that we all breathe air. We right. all, you know, um, even beyond just the human centric things, we all live, we all share this planet. Yeah, you know, totally. This, we, this is where we all breed and are birthed and will die and, um, live, you know, yeah. Yeah. Our bodies, when we die, literally go back to the earth. And then, yeah. And so that just feels like an incredible opportunity that I don't want to miss the boat for. Yeah. And so I want to dive in is like use this gift of this life to explore that fully. And art has been um, a means to, uh, you know, y- utilize my own creativity and my own curiosity to point and wonder and ask questions, you know, visually. So I'm an artist, visual artist, but I'm also an author and storyteller and writer and that's been in, in these more recent years, the way that I've, like, I think my, my dharma is to, like, write and illustrate stories. And those stories aren't always just going to be illustrated, like, in a book. They might, there will be film right. and other media that I'm making. So I mean, I even within your, I guess you could call it a coloring book, but it's so much more than that. It's, it's almost like there's multiple media that's the plural of medium i think yeah media. Yeah, yeah media within that one book even though it is a book which so i, I read a book called the keepers of color and the keepers of color is a it's a hero's journey for your creative soul it's a way to basically go in i believe everybody has a world within them and it's a way to explore that world within you so there's this little character named color adorable he's like a little shamanic sherpa and uh really playful, like, uh, he's a representation embodiment of the inner child, and he, um, he, you meet him, and he says, hi, I've been looking all over, you know, he's like, uh, hey, hey, my name's Color, like, I live inside of you, I've known you your whole <laughs> life, um, but I made, I made, I made such an embarrassing mistake, you know, I've been looking all over you, I made such an embarrassing mistake, you promised not to be mad, okay, here it goes, I lost your dream, your vision, your mission, your purpose in life, what you came here to do, and somehow knew how you somehow knew some way you were you're here to, to do. Um, I got busy and got distracted by the life you weren't really living. When I looked back up, it was gone. But the good news is, it's still inside of you. All we have to do is go looking for it. So that's really the prompt to then take everyone on an inner journey to see what they're made of and see what hopes and desires and dreams and gifts they have. And through a series of other keepers, these little archetypal allies. Um, reflect back to you what wants to be born, you know, what, what seed wants to come to life. Totally. And as, as your life, um, and the fruits you can offer to back to the world. Right. So that's the, that's this incredible journey. So yes, it's a workbook. It's a journal. Uh, there's prompts, there's coloring, there's, um, uh, visioning and yeah, my little shamanic journey for anybody who, uh, wants to peer inside themselves and knowing you're going to have a trusted guide and a little in a, in a benevolent handholding. So it. awesome. What inspired you to create that? Did you go through your own process of needing to rediscover yourself? I mean, I'm constantly, in a lot of those, <laughs> but yeah, I, let's see a few things. One, 
at the time, I was following, I was in a spiritual group for, for a long time, like six plus years. And uh, it, it... What type of group? It was a, uh, I would say it studied all different forms of, all different, uh, you know, religions and mysticisms and, and um, you know, from Buddhism to Hinduism to, you know, to Christianity to Sufism to shamanic traditions. It was a, it was a, uh, I did a lot of plant medicine in that group as well, uh, which was powerful. And, um, yeah, just had a lot of different philosophies, but there were some... Uh, there was a big giant moment where the sort of leaders and, and, and um, yeah, leaders of the group, there was this kind of, things came to, things came to a head and I, you know, some people stayed, there was, mm-hmm. there was an exodus. Right. Some people stayed and some people left. I was one of the people who left. Where were you in this group? Like what part of the country? Oh, Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Yeah, Los Angeles. It was a, it's a group all, it was an international group. Okay, got it. And I, I left and needed to there was a there was a main leader and teacher and what i saw was i just needed to have no more mediaries between yeah. me and god or me you and, needed to create that for i needed yourself. to create that for myself so this was a sort of a humble journey to just sort of find my own i mean what's i mean i don't even think it's ironic but all of the teachings and te- the teachings in the group were like you have a spirit and a spark inside of you right. you have your own being you have this essence within you yet there's some guru-like person that everybody is following. Exactly. And so I think and if you look at the hero's journey, for instance, you know, Luke Skywalker had to go beyond Obi-Wan Kenobi right. and Yoda, you know? Um, Harry Potter had to sort of uh, go beyond Dumbledore, mm-hmm. you know, and sort of become his own wizard and become your own Jedi and become your own, um, you know, Christ or Buddha or, you know, um, realized person. And... Um, the uh, the that's why I created this book is I as I needed to find that for myself and become that and in the process of it you know hopefully help others do the same and just go on a journey and get lost get lost again to be found you know yeah, to totally. not to not be afraid of being out of control or not knowing and the unknown yeah the unknown is yeah. huge so and uncertainty straight into the unknown you know because I. I think we think sometimes, or I've seen that I thought, that the universe is like, it's there and it knows what it's doing as if it's not still figuring itself out as well. Right. For and sure. So, And you almost have to trust the fact that it is figuring it out rather than that it's already figured it out. Yeah, I, I hope. You know, it allows you to, allows you to be um, participatory in it. You know, it right. allows you to kind of co-create along with it. So, for me... That's what the Keepers of Color was—a book to, to just be on a guide and go from a from a from a lost thing to like losing your dream and losing what you came here to do to you know just getting back on track and getting back to that alignment we talked about or the mm-hmm. integrity we talked totally. about, totally, uh, the values and the virtues. So that's what the that's so what you that disconnected about. in order to reconnect. A thousand percent, which is the theme of this podcast. <laughs> here we are, perfect, well played. Do you feel like you increase like? The creation of the book, did that mirror your own process of rediscovering yourself? Or or was the creation of the book kind of after you began the process of rediscovering yourself? Uh, I'd say it was, it was uh, pretty hand-in-hand. Hand. I mean, I'm still... I, I Yeah, it was pretty hand-in-hand. Hand. And I think that it... Really what it, what it did was it just helped me find my own autonomy. You know, it helped me find my own... My vision... 
is to be, and I'm still working on this now, but my vision is to be completely employed by inspiration itself. To be listened to the ideas and the muses and wherever those visions come from and to execute them, to sort of do the spiritual homework of, okay, this idea is, I, I, I believe ideas are entities. I believe they want people to help make them reality. Yeah, totally. And Have you read Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic? Love it. Yep. So good. So good. That's one of the main themes in the book is that she personifies ideas. I've read it multiple multiple times. I think that's such a, and I agree with that. I think she's so spot on. Because totally. Anytime I've had an idea and followed it through, they they do. They wrestle with them. They're, they're some are there and some kind of like go away, and you're like, oh, someone else might have got it. Or and then sometimes they come back. They come back exactly. So, uh, I believe that, and I I believe that when you complete a task, a homework, a task like that, wherever whoever's assigning those tasks, we're like, okay, this person's. John's uh, John's doing his homework. Let's give him another one. You know, you get like a bigger, grander, even weirder right. task. Then each one brings you on through one of those hero or heroine's journeys. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, they, they're never the same. They, they each have their own lessons and hardships and struggles and frictions that uh, bring about um, a new treasure that you didn't even know was there. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes I have a good friend, Irene, who always says, you think you're doing one thing, but you're doing something else. <laughs> And you just don't know it yet. You don't know it yet, you know? Um, So. Do you have an example of that? um, My life. I mean, really, (laughs) like, I I think I, yeah, I, I, let me see if I can have a specific example and not not be that. But I think, like I saw, what is it? Like, remember the time you, um, remember that time you mistook a a soulmate for a life lesson? (laughs) Like that kind of thing, you know. So <laughs> totally, a- any one of those. Like it's it's just a thing where you you think this is you you we create our own stories around why this is happening, what this is supposed to be. Yeah, the narrative. The narrative, and usually there's something else in there if we're kind of being honest with it. So, I would say even being in that spiritual group, I thought I was heading towards like enlightenment or mm-hmm. some achievable thing, some achievable like spiritual like. Uh, diploma or right. like a realization and I think I got like I I really got what psychology was and my own psychology when leaving when leaving it you which know, like that was, was probably the purpose of you joining totally but I didn't wouldn't have but you wouldn't have known that I was so course. in it that I didn't that I didn't know it right know? so um you know I remember when I was so I graduated in 2001 uh I stayed in Baltimore in this the summer and then I came out like I worked my butt off in school, like, crushed it, you know, like, was getting into, uh, like, jury competitions that my teachers weren't, you know, like, the, you know, I, I was, I just went for it, and I, you know, I was worked so hard to have this portfolio to then, like, enter the real world, and so I stayed in Baltimore through the summer, and then, uh, you know, September 1st, 2001 was when I, like, declared myself like you know <laughs> eligible for the real world and sort of applying and kind of you know sending my portfolio and having meetings in Boston and 10 days later September 11th happened it's crazy and like just everything shut down and the economy didn't know what was sort of happening right. and like it was just this wild time and no one was taking risks on right out of school students and it was I had to get a job at a Starbucks how did it impact you creatively well I'll, I'll have to share good prompt so it 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 uh 
it was so humbling, you know, to come out with such aspirations and working so hard. And then it kind of it burst my bubble in so many levels. Like it burst, like when the towers came down, it burst my bubble. Like I remember watching them going, oh, there's evil in the world. Totally. That's what I saw. I remember yeah, going, I just okay, had got chills. That's evil. Like when, no matter what, whether it's a conspiracy, whether that's an inside job or actual like terrorism, I mean, it's terrorism on any level. Right. But what, however that came down, it doesn't matter. That's still people killing people. And that shook me to the core. And so what I vowed internally was to make art in response to that. Like I will say, I will, um, my art will be a light and hope and a place that can be otherwise, you know, um, Mm -hmm. it'll be, it's not going to be in reaction to that, but in response to that as a different way, as a new possibility. And what's interesting about that is there's this quote, I think, or an idea where the light doesn't shine through unless there's cracks in the surface. Mm -hmm. Yep. So it's almost like that darkness had to be present in order for the light to be able to shine through. Totally. I mean, I had to see my own like opposition. I think I'm a, I am a, a, for those of you who know, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, which is the enthusiast, otherwise known as the optimist. And I do, I have, I have an, I have such a like tireless optimism. Um, and I do come, I double down in the face of darkness. Um, I would have known that at the time, you know, right. but I think that was my sort of face. That was my first like bubble bursting, like worldview where I was like, oh, it's not as it's perfectly, you know, as perfectly safe and uh, benevolent as I thought it was. And that was, that was hard for me to, to really get. So, but, so I had to get a job at a Starbucks and that was humbling because I had such aspirations and just want to like, put me to use God, put me to use yeah, universe. Yeah, you had your degrees. I just worked my butt off. I'm here to like be an instrument. Totally. Um... And I was in service, you know, I was, I loved, I mean, I, I didn't love the toil of it, but I actually loved like making people smile yeah. and like serving up their coffee or seeing the regulars. And so I did a little, I did, I ended up doing a, um, a, what do you call it? Like regular customer portrait, like a gallery of all the oh, regular cool. customers. But I taught myself graphic design and started working for, uh, a little local woman, a little regular who came in and she had a little, uh, hat company, Hats for Hope. Oh, that's awesome. And that was make these hats for the cancer runs mm-hmm. and things and things like that. Um, and then soon after, uh, I would do like musical, uh, I would do posters for my friend's bands or little CD covers or album covers for my friends and family's band. And that, that sort of started. And then uh, I found out about Jason Mraz, mm-hmm. kind of on the tail end of the Napster days. And he still had his email on his website. He was just a little San Diego like guy. Loved his music and designed some stuff for him and cool. sent it out and we became friends. And, and you guys are still good friends. Still super good friends. And I got to like, you know, he took off. when he, you know, I met him before his record came out and then his record came out. He had success and I kind of went along with him. And then... And kept designing for him. Kept designing for him on all different levels and also, you know, met other musicians and singer-songwriters and people in the entertainment industry all along the way. So... Uh, I love that you were working with creatives yeah. as a creative. It's, I'm uh, sure that process is so different than designing for a company. I've worked both ways, and yeah. I <laughs> of course, it depends on what the company's values and mission are. There's some very creative, mission-driven companies, you know, of course, like Cafe Gratitude. My very selfish favorite way to work is when people are like, listen, I'm, I, I know what I'm doing. You're the artist designer. Just... 
make me look good, basically. You're like, do something cool for me. That's what I need. It's like or, trust. It's a trust. Or it's like, hey, um, you understand how to channel and translate the heart and soul of what I'm up to do. I trust you to do that. Totally. And when they give me creative control and freedom and they, and when they actually, one of the things I love to do is have my work has a lot of like double entendres mm-hmm. where it's always revealing something. It points to something, but also reveals something deeper, kind of flips things on its head. Do you have an example? I mean, it'd be hard to describe on a podcast. It'd probably, probably, probably easier to see. <laughs> I could put it in the show notes. You could put it in the show notes. Um, you could look at my Instagram account. Okay. There's a lot of things like that on my Instagram accounts. And, cool. And um, on my website, uh, yeah, like you can look in the shop and the portfolio and you'll, you'll see things. I think it's probably easier. I mean, I had a one that just popped to mind, so I'll share it. There was an album cover for a guy named Nadav, uh, an Australian singer-songwriter, amazing. And he was doing this... Um, mantras it was kind of but uh it was a sutra album but he called it pop sutras mm-hmm. and so sutras are these ancient texts right. these ancient mantras and um almost prayers really right but he he made these pop songs as if they were like sutras oh you know? interesting so he covered all these pop songs as if they were ancient sutras and did them in a kirtani way and cool. like with a you know eastern music and instruments and so the pop is a very pop cover. The cover is this like bright and teal, almost neon turquoise background with this bright strawberry um, ice cream cone, like melting, but the cone is like made of a Buddha. So this Buddha is melting, the strawberry ice cream Buddha is melting down mm-hmm. the cone with this, and it's a, like that talks about just impermanence, you know, in Buddhism and how like everything is not going to be here. So there's that's a little double entendre. Yeah, one, interesting. Instance. And even yeah. like melting ice cream goes from a solid to a liquid. Exactly. Not to mention just pop sutras. Right. Is this sort of it's almost like an oxymoron. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So totally. that kind of thing. That's a, that's a, that's one that came to mind. Cool. That's so, awesome. Um, yeah. So my you know my work has been a way to seek and a way to look at the world and uh, you know provide sense making for others um, as well as myself. And I'm really inspired by film and storytelling. And, you know, film is, actual film film is 24 frames a second. Yep. I'm like, that is 24 frames of image making a second. It's like the ultimate image making form. It's, it is like the art form of totally. now. You know, like, and I, I've, I've always wondered, like, what would the Sistine Chapel look like as a film? And that's what I want to make. That's what I am making. Have you used... I'm sure you've used actual film. I haven't. Oh, you haven't? No. But I, 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 I that's I don't I'm not as into the that kind of technique. Yeah. I have a one of my college roommates is a cinematographer. He's oh, actually cool. Armando Salas. He is the cinematographer on Ozark. Oh cool. That show and he got that's, his, he, he shot beautifully. He it's exactly he's really he's phenomenal. Yeah. He's always painted with it's light. Very cinematic. He just got um, nominated for an Emmy for, that's for his work. Yeah. So He's great. So, so cool. I, my vision is, I'll just let Armando handle yeah. it. You know, I don't need to know like film and things like that. He loves that technical stuff. Yeah. I just have the mind's eye vision and I know how to direct and create and make, right. sure, that, make sure that happens. Yeah. I've used film once to do a video in high school and I just remember there was so much fear in cutting it because oh, yeah. you have to physically cut the film. Yeah. It's like if you mess up, it's just, you can't, there's nothing you can do. There's some things you could do, but I yes. guess you could like glue it back together yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, 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 undefined. Right. Undefined. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, oh, the other thing I was going to ask you. So it seems like you hold space for a lot of people, even unknowingly. 
Like, for example, through your book, whoever reads it, you're sort of holding their space Mm -hmm. for their own discovery. Mm -hmm. How do you release that, that Mm -hmm. energy from other people that you take on just by the nature of what you do? Uh, Great question. Very insightful. Very astute of you. Uh, I think, I mean, exercise, my own, you know, circulation of the blood and, you know, um, physicality, I kind of release it more in the material world, Mm -hmm. meditation, prayer, and also just being in constant creativity. Yeah. I stay, I stay constantly renewed. So therefore I'm new every day. You know, I can kind of shake it off like a, like a, any animal kind of does in that fight or flight response. So I hold a lot of space, but also, I also would say I'm, that's part of what I do. You know, I'm here to hold space. So um, it's not about like, oh, stop, now I'm holding space, now I'm not holding space. Like it's a part of all I do is to be able to hold more more space, you know, for not only other people, but I mean, yes, certainly other people, but the all of life, you know, to be able to see there's this great, I think we talked about this yesterday. There's this Instagram account called Nature is Metal Mm -hmm. that my friend Trent told me about. And that was a bubble bursting thing too, just to see the grim, grisly, raw reality of like a lion and cheetahs and the savannas and, you know, eating zebras or antelope or, or. Yeah. It's very violent in its own way. Very violent, like incredibly violent. It's, you know, way beyond the National Geographic, like, you know, sort of clinical version of what we sort of see. It's grim, you know, and it's survival and they'll do anything to, you know, steal each other's meat and rip, rip apart things. And. You know, it's not, I'll say this, it's not, that Instagram account is not for the faint of heart. I mean, and they'll have specific, like, you know, one of those warning signs, like mm-hmm. viewer, viewer discretion advised. Rated um, MA. But to see that was to sort of get real with what's so here, right. you know? And that's also going on in us at all times with viruses and protozoa and bacteria and diseases. Like, that's happening. Life is doing what it can to survive and live yeah. and procreate and it's intense you and know? the destruction is there humans exactly. do it in a amplified way like uh, humans do it in an interesting way where and that's the one thing i haven't quite understood is like destruction for destruction's sake that sort of pathological do you think it is destruction for destruction or is there another motive like it seems like it could be destruction for self-benefit and self-preservation resources. I mean, perhaps. Like, killing for killing's sake right. feels, feels... Some people, probably, there's killing for just the sake of killing. Right, which might give them an adrenaline rush or something right. like that, I get. Um, it uh, it just saddens me. It's, it's something yeah. that, that's difficult for me. I'll just say it's a... When, I under, when I've peeked in and peered and had moments of the glory of life and existence mm-hmm. there's nothing about that that would bring in that kind of destruction right. you know? and so that's what I'm trying to point to and have my you know at best my work and my life wants to just be a finger pointing to that moon yeah totally and um you know but that's also part of my work is like okay can i understand that i'm and i'm I'm, with I'm, that. I'm yeah i'm a meaning making machine but also always looking for meaning yeah and th- there's times when meaninglessness um baffles me yeah or know? even the way that we assign meaning like 
we might demonize a serial killer who is going around and just killing people for the sake of killing people, mm-hmm. yet we can press a button and demolish an entire city. Yeah, yeah. and that's in, an in there. Instant. And that's in our psyche, and that's in us right now. And I think that, I you know, in realizing that if there's the Dalai Lama can exist and be like this height of compassion, then it would make sense that there would be a Hitler or a Ted Bundy or anything right. like that. That would have to actually be there. That that that's the other side of that pathology. Yeah, you know, there's the, the complete to balance. empathy, and then there's the complete pathology. You know, or soci you know sociopathology. So, but yeah, it's difficult to 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 to, under, to hold all of that. But uh, learning to that's a, that's a practice. Yeah, I mean, it has. To, it's hard to create the sustainability if that's what you do. I mean, you have to make it sustainable, otherwise you'll burn out. Yeah, and I'm learning. Well. I would say one of the things I've learned as an activist is, I've learned a lot of things, but one of the things <laughs> I've learned as an activist is just to play a larger game. And if I've realized that the work that I'm up to will never be will never be completed in my lifetime, uh, at best I'm handing off a baton to future generations, then it's not my work to do. You know, right. like there's almost an egoic aspect of like, mm-hmm. look what I can do. Look at the how how much I can save the world. And there's that sort of Herculean or like Atlas. You know, yeah, holding that's the world on, on the its, self. That's holding the world on its back, focusing on the self. And you can connect to a lineage of all the social justice and civil rights leaders and mystics and saints and right. past, you know, ancestors, past, present, not even, even ones that are known and unknown, you know, the people who just live simply among the earth and the indigenous tribes that mm-hmm. we'll never know of, but who are totally. just loving and compassionate or the, or the grandmother or auntie that's just loved their children and made, like, made life better and more compassionate all the unseen forces that we'll never see and all those conversations and people listening in the homes and the neighborhoods and all the love at the meals going on right now, when I'm present to that, that's what I want to connect to. And that can be a, that can be the source of power and the source of tirelessness. Yeah, totally. I realize that spirit is inexhaustible. So if I'm exhausted... It's not exhaustible yeah, or is? Spirit is inexhaustible. Okay. So spirit cannot be exhausted. Right. So if I'm exhausted, I must not be drawing from spirit. Hmm, interesting. I must be drawing from some limited version of myself. And that comes back to rest as well, and learning right. how to rest in both um, in both constantly holding space, in both creativity, in both um, getting physical rest for my body so I can do this work, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, that's a huge thing, and rest can be a... Rest can be a real um, subversive act, you know, in yeah. this tyranny of like the of capitalism totally i've struggled with rest personally and when you don't rest it physically takes a toll on your body a thousand percent and um there's a this is not a spoiler alert but there's a part in my keepers of color book where it's this workbook you know you're constantly asked to be doing um uh activities mm-hmm. and then there's a page right in the middle that's like the shavasana version of the book where you just have to rest. That's all you're being asked to do. There's a little poem in there about rest and just let it all down. Yeah, it's my favorite. It's my favorite. It's my favorite page mm-hmm. of the book. So, how do you intentionally rest? Um, getting to bed by a certain time. Yeah. Yeah, getting to bed by a certain time, and that's really it. I mean, it's just, it's it's my constitution just needs to be disciplined about things. Right. And so, and I've uh, yeah. Getting to bed at a certain time and making sure I set myself up that I can, you know, um, get the 
nourishment and, ex- and exercise and rest that I need for this body that's doing the work because it's carrying me through it all. You yeah, know, my totally. mind, my it's like a, when you get on a plane sometimes, when you get on a plane, you have that little jet lag. Mm-hmm. My mind races because your body's going hundreds of miles per hour in a plane, you know, right. and then you land and you think, you know, you just got here, but like, whoa, whoa, whoa your soul, your body, like just Yeah, travel. hasn't caught up yet. Hasn't caught up yet. Right. So my mind's like at the jet pace. And you're like up in the air, so the opposite of being grounded. So many things happening. Yeah. So, uh, it, it, you know, awareness, consciousness of realizing, calm down, let's put this in perspective. Right. I have a friend and, you know, uh, this doctor and philosopher and um, poet, uh, Nigerian philosopher named Bayo, mm-hmm. Bayo Komalafe, and he says, the times are urgent, let us slow down. And just that paradox of what a, what a form of dissent. Right, especially now. Slow down. And, and, but, but that's all the earth is asking of us, and we're going to go back to it. I mean, I had this realization that every civilization has both risen and fall, like fallen from the earth. Like mm-hmm. Risen and fallen to the earth. Risen up from created turmoil, like right. industry, machines, mechanical, societies, you know, all of it. And then all the ones that have collapsed have fallen back, you know, to, right. to the earth, back to ground zero. Yeah, um, it goes back to the balance that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So if you can just stay as close to your ears and heart to the ground and learn those lessons... Um, you know, and there's all sorts of mythologically and biblical references of like Babylon and the Tower of Babel kind of falling and rising and being this sort of, you know, ever reach, trying to reach the heavens and do it through our own means. And then the earth's just holding us here mm-hmm. the whole time. Yeah. So being on a farm, full circle, has just taught me to be here now and taught me that the earth is what's holding me. And I'm here as an earthling right now and a human. And I might come back in a different form yeah, on earth forms. or in a different planet or a different dimension or a different dream world I might come back as a muse because I've been such a good student of muses <laughs> who knows that'd be awesome uh, but for now I'm here and this is my curriculum and so I just want to be the best student I can and so when I'm on a farm learn about the farm learn about regenerative agriculture learn about the seasons learn about the nobility of a seed you know and the generosity of a beet or a strawberry, you know, learn about the industriousness of a bee or a duck, learn about, uh, the sweetness of a cow, you know, and slowness of a cow. Um, yeah, that's what I'm, that's what What do you feel like your muse is now? Well, or has it been constant um, for your artistic journey? Sure. Sometimes I've been a thousand percent guilty of making that a, a, an actual woman. <laughs> the object of my desire has become, have become muses, objects of my affection. Uh, but really, I would say it's inspiration itself as well as, you know, my life has become the path, the practice, and the teacher. My life has become the path, the practice, the teacher, and the muse of... Like there's this saying from the from the uh, from the desert fathers mm-hmm. that said, "Sit in your cell and it'll teach you everything." And your cell was just your room where you're a little like meditation monk. But sit in your cell and it'll teach you everything. So if you're re- here and present, everything you need's here. I mean, everything can be a portal to the to the all things. You know, uh, this microphone in front of us, this notebook in front of us, this table, this coffee, uh, the light up above. If you can. Be fully here. You can be fully here to all worlds. Right. What's happening? So, yeah. 
there's that saying that we are all nothing and everything at the same time, which I feel like is sort of the embodiment of what you just talked about. It's like, what are we really? I don't know if we're nothing. I haven't got there yet. Personally, I haven't got there yet because there's something here. I mean, right. not much. I think not, we nothing. could just be energy, uh-huh. but nothing in the sense of like everything that we believe that we are is we'd just a nothing, constructed. We'd be nothing without something, whether that something is God or, you know, but I think that there's, I don't think there's nothing. And I think that's a big, like, again, this is personal, totally personal. Yeah, totally. But the fact that there's something here, this is a table that I, that we're actually having this dialogue, means that there's not nothing. Because even if you go back to the exist, like the fact that we exist right. means there's something rather than nothing, which also means we're someone rather than no one. And then learning to discover what that is is certainly the great question in my life. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, but I understand thematically. Where it's like the table, we define this as a table. Yeah. But really, what is it? Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of empty space in there. There's a lot, I mean, there's a lot, there's way more nothingness than something. But then to your point, there isn't really nothingness because, you know, the air has a bunch of different molecules and I don't know what, you know, makes the air, but a lot of different things or like the universe. I think about space, quote unquote space. Yeah. What is that? Space. Right. There's a lot of space. Right. There is a lot of nothing, but there's also something. And I think we can, but I think to your point, to live in that balance and live in that that awareness, there's a harmony there that wants to happen. Totally. Uh, We've tried to make the something into everything and it's not, that's actually sort of, I think, part of our missteps. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I 100% agree. Yeah. It's nine, so we should probably wrap this up so we can go eat an awesome meal. Love it. We did it. We nailed this. Yes, this was was awesome. Great podcast. Yeah. Cool. I'm so excited about it. Any last, uh, any last? I have some like quick fire questions that I usually ask people, which are sometimes fun. Okay. Okay. Uh, What book are you reading right now? The Call of the Reed Warbler. And what is it about? Uh, it's about an Australian farmer who discovers regenerative farming and brings back the land and even ecosystems when he discovers this. Awesome. And so the Reed Warbler was this... I don't know if it was... I haven't got there yet, and uh, but I, I don't know if it was pushed to extinction, but it's certainly been gone, and then it comes back. Cool. Yeah. Um, what was your last meal? I know the answer to this since we shared it together. Yeah, we had pizza last night. We did. Uh, but I would say even before that would be lunch. That was a real meal. And lunch was incredible. It was uh, uh, tacos. Tacos. Uh, tamales. Tortillas, tamales. Um, yeah, sprouts, fr- sprout salad, fresh farm tomatoes, meat, um, hot oil, delicious yeah, that hot seed, oil, that milk it juice was so thing. great. Yeah, yeah, that was my last meal. Um, if you could go back and tell yourself something yourself like twenty years ago or fifteen years ago, uh-huh. what would you say to yourself? Conserve your energy. Um, 
tell the truth. I love that. Mm-hmm. And lastly, where can everyone find you? So my name is John Morrow, and I'm a J-O-N. I'm a Jonathan. So John Morrow, J-O-N-M-A-R-R-O.com. Also, probably Instagram is probably the best, so J-O-N-M-A-R-R-O. And, um, yeah, you can find me. You can. I mean, I, I have all those sort of handles. Yeah, and you can find me, my books on Amazon and other places. You can, if you want to find local, I mean... Local bookstores. Local bookstores are, I'm not sure where they are in COVID world, but... Um, Local, have them have them order the book. That also that also works. But um, you know, you can find me on the bigger venues as well. Cool. And you can find me on podcasts like this. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you again. Love it. Lovely conversation. Yeah, this Thank was you. really wonderful. Let's go have some breakfast. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with John. As I'm sure you could tell, he's incredibly insightful, thoughtful, and totally connected to however you want to define the inner source of power, which to me is really inspiring. You can learn more about him on his website, johnmaro.com. It's J-O-N-M-A-R-R-O.com or his Instagram at johnmaro. And I'll also put some links in the show notes if you want to reference anything we talked about. And also make sure to subscribe to the podcast or go to undefinedpodcast.com to find out about all of the latest updates. And since I know you love me oh so much, please leave a review on iTunes. I think that I will be coming out with an episode every couple of weeks, so stay tuned. <laughs>